thankful we get a chance to hear from a great friend, and not just friend, but leader in this community and leader uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, Todd McDowell has been a friend to our church for a long time, been a friend to me, and been a friend to church um, and and connections that we've had for years and years and years. Uh, Todd is the director of Caleb Company Ministries, a ministry dedicated to helping Jewish people see Jesus as their Messiah and uh, the result of seeing not only that, but, but when the Jewish people come to know their Messiah, Jesus, that it will mean incredible things for the world. So uh, they not only get to minister to the Jewish people, um, but they are also taking the gospel all over the world and getting to do that. So we love, love that ministry, love what they're doing. So thankful for Todd and his ministry. Would you guys help him, uh, help me welcome him uh, up to the stage? Man, it's such an honor to be here today. Whew, it gets, there's more and more presence of God here. I don't know if y'all notice, but I do, because I come, I mean, it's been rich ever since maybe 12 years ago when I first came to New River at the theater, and just his presence is so, there's such an open and uh, a welcoming, you know, hospitality and open heaven, but it's just, there's an increase, and I was so blessed it's amazing this morning. I don't know, you all just enjoy it every week. Maybe you don't notice. The, the water's getting hotter for all the frogs. <laughs> so it's just, I just jumped in and felt it, you know. You've just been experiencing it slowly. Um, this morning, I am going to share something that I think is relevant for all of us. And I actually had a picture during worship of what God was doing here. And it was amazing. I saw like a, almost like a work of art that it had, um, and it was like a room that it was uh, an art room that was under construction, and there was things being done, and there was all these works of art that had been uh, completed, but then other things, like structurally, things were being done, and some sanding and some dust was going on, so a lot of things have been covered, like to protect them, you know, like a sheets that would cover works of art and would cover nice furniture in a home that's getting some some foundational stuff done. And I felt like the Lord said that it's a season of just getting things, uh, the foundational things finished and getting, uh, and it's, it's not like he's having to rework a bunch of major stuff, but it's near the end of this season of foundations being refinished and that there's an unveiling coming this year. An unveiling of beauty, of glory. Just I saw a picture of these kind of like canvas sheets just being pulled off. And all of a sudden, <gasps> there's all these works of art. That God's been waiting for the foundations to get finished. And, and to support the beauty that he is going to unveil. So that was a sense I had in the spirit when we were worshiping and I'm excited. It came to my mind, um, you know, I felt this new beginnings and everything, and I came to my mind, the biblical calendar, the new year starts in the beginning of October this year. So I'm not, you know, one of those prophets that's like, eh, exact October 1st, this is happening. But I just want to share what the general sense I had, that I think there's some cool things the Lord's going to unveil in this next season, this next year. So be thinking towards 
even the new year in the, you know, the civic new year as well. Um, I want to talk this morning about God's presence. And this topic, it's what was sung this morning. It's probably one of the most precious things to me because it's where I get my sustainment from. It's where I receive life. To me, it's the meaning of life. You know, we were created for relationship. It's not just you know, understanding and knowledge, but encountering God. And, but I also believe it's strategic. And there's a verse in, in Scripture that really motivates me and encourages me. It's Habakkuk 2.14, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Waters cover the sea completely. <laughs> you can't, there's no air bubbles, you know, at the bottom of the sea. It's just filled with water. And the promise is that the knowledge of his glory will cover the whole earth. And in Hebrew mindset, in Hebraic understanding, the word knowledge is not mental ascent. That was a Greek notion that you could separate knowledge from experience. In the Hebrew mindset, to know something is to experience it. Uh, you could see that in Genesis 4.1. This is PG-13. But Adam knew Eve and Cain was born. That's Genesis 4.1. So that knowledge was not a mental ascent of Eve. That's the Hebrew understanding of knowledge. So the knowledge of his glory Meaning there's going to be an experiencing of God's glory in the whole earth. That's where we're headed. That excites me. I want to be a part of that. And by God's grace, I'm able to do that in a little measure in different places. You know, I was just reflecting. Hunter and Moses and I were in Haiti a year ago right now. And my first time in Haiti, but just his presence coming. You know, and, and this all these Haitians, it was the pioneering, a new base in, in uh, Haiti, and it was crazy chaos going on and terrorism and different things. And we were able to go and just bring his presence, bring truth and bring hope and encouragement. And went to Iraq after that, you know, Judah playing drums, I was just reflecting, yeah, we were, and Hunter again, we were in Iraq and the same thing, going into hospitals where their babies getting thrown away like trash. And we're able to go in there and love on them and sing. And Hunter grabbed a guitar and was singing. And all the Muslim mamas and their babies just, they're picking their babies up that have cancer and everything. And they're smiling. And we're just bringing life, an encounter of his presence. You know, went to Norway with Moses and, you know, Egypt and Israel the last couple of months. Just releasing glory. But I want to say, it's not about just the mission field or just going. It's about what about your job? Where do you take your kids to the park? Where do you shop? In your home, on your phone, your, your emails, your whatever social media. What? His presence, his glory, he wants to use you to manifest his presence. So God's plan for the spread of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord throughout the whole earth is you and you and you and you and you. That's his plan. It's you and me. That's why it's so important that we understand his presence and we focus on his presence. So um, the first point that I want to make that 
you know, I go to Israel several times, and this whole thing about what distinguishes us, um, and it's his presence. But I want to just tell you the story. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Orthodox Jewish people that wear the black and the white. Uh, usually they wear the black jackets and hats and pants, the ultra-Orthodox. And I fly to Israel so much that a lot of times they'll be sitting on seats next to me. And, you know, whenever there's uh, a woman, like they're not allowed to touch women. Did you know that? Ultra-Orthodox. So if they're ever seated next to a woman on a plane, they'll make a big deal and try to move to sit by a guy. And it usually takes 10 or 15, 20 minutes to take off extra just to get them situated where they can sit next to guys. And this one ultra-Orthodox man was sitting by me. And he was really friendly, and I was sharing my heart with him and back and forth. And I thought, you know, he's really a sharp guy. And I just said, hey, why are you wearing, Why do you guys wear the black and the white? So I felt we had enough rapport, and he respected me. I was showing love and respect. And he, he goes, oh, well, that's easy. We do it to show that we're set apart as God's children. And when he said that, it just grieved me. Because it made me think of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 24, you know, God said, I'm going to encounter you. And he told Moses, bring the 70 elders out from the camp. And then they saw God and they ate together. And then he brought Joshua up the mountain. In seven days, the fire and the smoke is on the Mount um, Horeb. Mount, uh, and then God said to Moses, come up further in 40 days and 40 nights. He's in God's presence. And getting all the download of how to create a place for encountering God, which was the tabernacle. Gave him all the instructions. Those 40 days was all the instructions for the tabernacle. How the Levites and the priests, what they were to wear, what they were to do, how to build tabernacle, who is going to build it, and everything came down. And after during those 40 days, the Children of Israel are like, where's Moses? We need a God. We need a God. We need a God. And Aaron said, bring all your gold. And they brought all the gold. And Aaron fashioned a golden calf and began worshiping it and then reveling, just sinning. And God told Moses what he heard and what he saw. And Moses came down and threw the commandments down that God had handwritten. And, and then had, it was just a judgment came. And, and God said, Moses... I'm going to start over. I'm going to kill all them. And then Moses interceded for mercy. And then we see what God said. After Moses interceded for mercy, God said, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Say, I'll give it to your descendants. So God, after all that sin and that the trauma and the heartbreak for Moses and the intercession, God said, okay, I'm going to be faithful to my promise. You guys can go. Go to the promised land. Take all the children of Israel with you. But that's not what he, he said something else. He said, I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're stiff-necked people. I might destroy you on the way. And by the way, he did destroy many of them. Do you see this? When I was reflecting on this, I realized, you know, there's a big problem here. 
This is a big test. I'll send an angel, but I won't go with you. Now think about our lives. Think about your life. What God's saying is, I'm going to fulfill your destiny. I'm going to actually let you walk in your identity as my children going to a land I've called you to, the promised land. I'm going to give you all the promises. You're going to be successful, and you're going to walk in your calling. I know so many people I walk with and meet with, you know, they're just like, Todd, I want to know what God wants me to do. I want to know where he wants me to go, who to marry, and what job to take. And it's all about what are you going to do? Where are you, what are the fulfillments of God's promises? And most people are good with that. Okay, God, thank you. You're going to make it all work out. Awesome. It's a test. And I want to challenge us. Now I'm here too. Are we content to just walk out our calling our destiny are we so caught up in I just need that promise fulfilled I want this for my marriage for my children for my life for my business for my ministry are you content it's all good but Moses said oh wait (laughs) then Moses said if your presence does not go with us do not send us up from here How will anyone know you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the people on the face of the earth? So this is is what is supposed to distinguish us. It's not what we do. It's not what we wear. It's not even our lingo, our religious language. You know, It's, it's his presence. Are you tempted to just have a successful life without his presence? Are you tempted to have a successful church without his presence? Now, I know you're not because his presence is thick here. But it's not optional. It's essential. His presence is what distinguishes you. Doesn't matter if you're in debt or you're living well. Doesn't matter if you're sick or you're healthy. Doesn't matter if your marriage is on the rocks or super tight or your children are godly or they're walking in rebellion. It's his presence that matters. Don't size up your life based on circumstance. Size it up based on presence of God. I, that vision I saw of New River when I was seeing that, I saw this final kind of, kind of like spackling, you know, kind of like divots in the wall and stuff. The Lord was just doing a final coat, and it was his presence, just kind of coating everything, like you'd spackle and, you know, kind of fill gaps before you do a fresh paint. Just let his presence wash over the corporate New River, but individually, all the rivers in New River. What I love in this, um, you know, in verse 15, it says, how will anyone know you're pleased with me? Now, this is crazy. I love this. His presence is connected to pleasure. Sounds a little radical, but it's so biblical. 
you see this. We were created to walk in his presence. If you go back to the beginning, the book of Genesis, the word Genesis in Hebrew is Bereshit. It literally means beginnings. So let's go back to the beginning. What, how were we created? What were we created to? What was our environment we were created to live in? And you see, just I'm just going to use one simple verse. It says in Genesis 1.8, Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden. There he put the man he formed. So this was the environment. This was where man was supposed to live. His culture, his uh, environment was to be a place called Eden or Eden in Hebrew. If you translate the word Eden, it literally means pleasant or pleasure. Is that wild? He created us to live in an environment of pleasure. I love that. You know that Ephesians, I believe it's Ephesians 1.5, said he chose us according to his will and pleasure. How will the world know you're pleased with us unless you're with us? A place of face-to-face encountering God was a place called the place of pleasure. Are you experiencing his pleasure? Because when you acknowledge him, when you encounter him, it actually brings pleasure to him. And when he encounters you, it brings pleasure to you. At the core root foundational level of your DNA, of your whole being, of your spirit. That's the ultimate pleasure is his presence. David described this, Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. I love that. It's all about life. The tree of life. We're created for life, not just knowing good and evil. Not, so many Christians are known by what judgment we're basically known in politics. We're just against this, against that. You know, when you know good and evil, it gives you a right to judge. We're never to eat that tree. Yes, we're to know what's right and wrong and walk in truth and holiness and integrity. But we're to eat from a tree of life. And we're to give life, right? We're to be known as those Christians. They just give life. We don't, I didn't even hear them judge me. They just wanted to give me life. Well, this is what it says. You make known me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. And then eternal pleasures at your right hand. Do you see this theme? Of his presence releases joy and then pleasure. Eternal pleasures. This is what we're going to experience forever. So we got to get used to it. If you're living a a humbug Christian life and just kind of barely making it, man, you're going to be shocked. In heaven, it's like, what? I could have experienced this the whole time. <laughs> I mean, serious, I'm, when I'm in his presence, I realize I don't care about everything else in my life. Because it hits at such a core level of it is well with my soul. So let's look at two examples of um, countering his presence. And these are two radical examples. Um, This whole um, focus is 
What determines the quality of your life? It's his presence. So I'm going to look at the quality of David, life of David and Solomon. And they're related. Yes, one's dad, one's son. But they're very radically different in their lives, how they were, you know, their life experience, but then also the quality of life. So different. We'll begin with David. David was, had a troubled life from the very beginning. In the book of Psalms, it says he was born in sin. Most scholars believe his dad had an affair with another woman because he, they talk about all his brothers. And then David was the redheaded kid. Hair was ruddy, it says. Meaning like he had a different color of hair than all his brothers. And he was shunned. He wasn't even considered one of the sons who was out in the fields. They didn't want to show David to anyone to guess. So he, there was a shame factor with David. We don't know exactly, but he was shunned. He was rejected. And then... His brothers picked on him, ridiculed him when his dad sent him to the, deliver lunch. And that was as close as he got to fighting, was bringing lunch. And he got ridiculed and shamed by his brothers, his older brothers. And then he defeats Goliath, and Saul's like, you know, honors him. But then quickly, Saul begins attacking him, trying to kill him. It's like your first mentor, you know, gave you your first break, your first go for it, kid. And then... Starts trying to kill you. And then he wants to marry, you know, Mika, and he does all, he kills 200 Philistines in a radical manner, or collects parts of them, and he has to buy her. And I assume he killed him too, but who knows? Uh, okay. Sometimes it's bad to be a visual speaker. Um, so he, you know, he gets Mika, and she's the woman of his dreams, and he's dancing and celebrating the presence of God. And his own wife, his very first love, despises him. Says, you're shameful. You're like one of the poor guys. You're just, and just nails him. He's being so free and so open and worshiping. And his wife just criticizes him and curses him. Can you imagine that? The pain, the, one, the person you love the most. And then he has children, and he, you know, he's, he's a king, he's successful, but he keeps having to fight, he keeps having to fight. He had to fight the Philistines over and over, and he has this heart to build the tabernacle, to build a temple. You know, and God says, whatever's in your heart, do it. So he buys all the stuff, collects all the money, and the Lord says, sorry, you can't build it because you're too much blood on your hands. You've been fighting too much. His, own, his biggest dream. And God says, sorry, you can't do it. And then his son Absalom undermines him. His beloved son, handsome, skillful leader. Probably David had, had promoted him and honored him and took him everywhere and esteemed him. And his own son undermines him. Turns everyone against the father. Shames the dad takes all his concubines in front of everyone and shames him and drives him out. He's running from his own son. What kind of life is that? What kind of quality of life is that? Let me tell you. Look at what David says at the end of his life. What he says about his life. These are the last words of David. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse. It's like, you know what? God inspired me. 
and I'm just a son of this guy named Jesse. The utterance of the man exalted by the Most High. So I'm just a man, but man, God just lifted me up. It's amazing. The man anointed by the God of Jacob. God just poured this oil on me when I was like 16, and he kept pouring it on me. He just kept anointing me my whole life. The hero of Israel's songs. You know what? I love to sing. I sing about him, all that he's done. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. This is how David remembers his life. God just would speak to me. His words were on my tongue. I would just worship. And then he goes on. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, and then he starts describing himself. He goes, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. Like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. So he's just picturing what was my life like? Who am I like? He said, I'm like this morning sun glistening you know, after the rain on grass. It's just bright, beautiful, refreshing. That's how he sees himself, his quality of life. You're like, what? It's not like he had the worst life ever. But his last words, he's saying, I was so fulfilled. I'm so blessed. I feel fresh. No clouds. Total sunny skies. Then he goes on. And this gets me even more. He said, If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant. God made this commitment to me and my family forever. He arranged and secured every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. At the end of David's life, he's like, isn't my house all in order? Didn't God arrange and secure everything? And didn't he give me and fulfill every desire I ever had? What? It doesn't look like it from your storyline, but this is his experience. Why? Because David's heart was Psalm 27, 4, one thing I desire. There's one thing I seek. I want to dwell in his presence. I want to gaze at his beauty. I'm going to inquire in his temple. David's passion was God. And he encountered God's presence. And that gave him the most rich, fulfilled, secure life. And it was nothing to do with his circumstances. So I want to encourage you. If you're going through challenging circumstances in any area of your life or even extended family or work or community, your quality of life is not determined by that. Let's look at the other side of this. Uh, What about our good friend Solomon, his son? (laughs) Let's just quickly, I'm going to just got to summarize this. But Solomon's life, he was known, he had... You know, 300 wives, 700 concubines. You look at what the world's measure of success. Like, look at, you know, women. 
cars, money. What is the world? What are our ads on TV trying to sell? He had the most beautiful women from all over the world, 700. That's official count in the Bible. Then he had the horses and chariots from Egypt. They're like the Maseratis and Lamborghinis. They're the fastest, most beautiful, most expensive transport. And then he had gold and riches and spices and, um, you know, just every kingdom around the world would appease him and pay him tribute. So scholars believe he is most likely the richest man in world history, Solomon, the most wise. God gave him supernatural wisdom. So think about that. You're the wealthiest. You're the smartest, the wisest, have the most women, the most cars, and you never fight one day of war your whole life. Does that sound like a quality of life? And the world would say, amen, brother. Maybe some churches would do. <laughs> hey, I don't. But what was his last words? Look at what he says. Meaningless, meaningless. This is the 12th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. The last chapter, Solomon's talking about his life. Solomon says, meaningless, meaningless. He calls himself the teacher. That's his identity. I just was teaching a lot of things. Everything is meaningless. What kind of quality of life is that? There's depression. There's all this um, disillusioned. He was tired. He said of many, making many books, there's no end. Much study wearies the body. He's like, you know, I wrote all this cool Proverbs, but I'm exhausted. And it was actually tiring. It wasn't that fun. And then he talks about his perspective with God. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. He was empty. He was lonely. He was depressed. And his concept of God was God's just going to judge me. And who knows, in his body, he may have been being judged at the end of his life. Some scholars believe that. He may have had some diseases, some venereal diseases. Who knows what was going on in his body, but he felt judged by God and every hidden thing exposed. So this, I just want to exhort you, don't chase after success in the world's eyes because it's not the quality of life. His presence is what brings quality of life. So how much do we encounter God's presence? You get to determine that. You are as close to God right now as you want to be. You can't blame anyone. You can't blame your pastor, your worship team, your, your friends, your family. It's a choice. It's a choice. Now, we do need freedom, but we, to get freedom, that's why I love what you guys are doing Sunday nights. I mean, to encounter more, we have to get some blockages out of our way. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end. But we draw near to him, James 4, 8, and then he draws near to us. You need to take a step. Every step you take, he'll take another step closer. It's just the way God set it up. Holy Spirit's like a dove, gentle. You, doves don't just crash bomb you like, you know, some buzzard. Doves are gentle. I've, and, and you gotta be really gentle and, and 
really peaceful and then doves come to you? How much of God's presence do you want? Um, Hebrews 11.6, we all know this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Remember, we're talking about pleasure. His presence connected to pleasure. Anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So this is the connection of our faith in what? In his presence. Our faith believing that he's there, that he's present, that he exists. And he's going to reward. You're diligently stepping towards him. He's going to keep stepping towards you. That pleases him. But it's your faith. You need to believe what you don't see. Be sure what you hope for and keep stepping in. Do you see that? We have to be cognizant and connected in a relational experiential reality that brings us close to him. We have to be constantly thinking, practicing the presence of God. Um, there's, so I just have this book, and I was blown away. Um, Brother Lawrence, I read this book years ago, and I just recommend it. It's a small little book. But I don't know how many of you know, Brother Lawrence was born in the 1600s, his name was uh, like Nicholas, um, and he, his parents were super poor. It was in the 1600s. There was wars going on. It was called the 30-Year War. He had to fight because it came right to his town. He got injured, and he left the army, served as a valet. And then in 1635, the Swedish infantry came. French cavalry came. He had to fight them. Uh, then he was taken prisoner by German troops. And they were going to kill him, and he was so courageous and bold, saying that he was innocent, that they just, they remarked, because of your courage, we're releasing you. So he's this radical guy, got radically injured. He fearlessly answered. It says they, they saw courage, they released him. And then later, the Swedes entered where he was, they passed through the area, attacked. He became wounded and was permanently lame, and his legs got worse and worse, and gangrene and all these kinds of things. Um, for years and all this horrible battle trauma and everything he thought what am I going to do with my life he said I'm going to serve God and back then to serve God was like to be a monk but he couldn't be a monk so he was a lay person just went to the monastery the Carmelite monastery and just said what can I do to serve I don't care if I'm a monk I just want to serve I'm a lay person no title no prestige do the dishes Starts doing the dishes. And all the while, begins acknowledging God and honoring God. And I want to read a couple of verses, uh, verses a couple of quotes. Um, uh, there's so much cool stuff about him, but um, let me just read this. So he said, I regard myself as the most wretched of all men, stinking and covered with sores, as the one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. King Jesus, overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him, ask his pardon, and abandon myself entirely to, to him to do with as he wills. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, lovingly embraces me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasures, and treats me as his favorite. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand and one ways. He forgives me. He relieves me of my principal bad habits without talking about them. I love that. 
I beg him to make me according to his heart. And always the more weak and despicable I see myself to be, the more beloved I am of God. I love that. He said, I can't imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depth of the center of my soul as much as I can. And while I'm so with him, I fear nothing. But the least turning from him is insupportable. He would feel when he turned away from God, it was just about to fall apart. Is this your experience? Does not matter where you are, what your life is like, you can practice the presence of God. Said that we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with Him. That it was a shameful thing to quit His conversation to think of other trifle and foolery things. <laughs> I mean, I, I could just go on and on. I was just blown away. Let us think, thus think. Often that our only business in this life is to please God. And perhaps all besides that is but folly and vanity. I mean, this is it. This is how to have a beautiful life, how to have a quality life. Okay, I want to end. I'm going to ask, um, I don't know if Jeremy could just come up and begin to play a little bit. I felt this whole thing, maybe to just an application this morning, is that his presence conquers fear. From the very beginning, and even in my life, some of the greatest strongholds in my life has been fear. Fear of man, Proverbs says it's a snare. That has snared me so many times. Worried about what others think. Um, first, fear of failure. Fear of success. I don't. What are the fears? I'm. When I was young, I used to be paralyzed by fear. I remember being having nightmares before I knew Jesus. I was literally could barely breathe and was trauma just terrorized, traumatized with you know boogeymen, kind of just demons. And there's a few times where I woke up like choking, couldn't feel like I was being choked by the enemy, just totally paralyzed by fear. And as I've walked with God, there's been times where I've walked strong, strong, and all of a sudden I just get paralyzed, feel like I'm nothing, I'm no one, just all the lies. The lies come, but it's the fear that paralyzes us. The enemy roams around like a roaring lion. Lions roars, freeze the prey. And I don't know what area of your life you might feel any a paralysis in. Some of you maybe are about to jump into major risk-taking, creative, you know, expression. And you, there's just this fear that's holding you back. Or some of you are about to just walk into freedom and confessing and being, you know, just transformed internally. But the fear is just holding you back. What if they think, what if I say this? What? I mean, I go through that every week. You know, just in the last few days, it was like, I need to confess some things. And you guys got it easy. I got to confess from Papa Don. It's scary. He's, he just like lives such a holy life. It's like, I know he can't relate to this, but Don. <laughs> but what is it? Usually it's not the big fears that can stop us. Stop us. 
Because, you know, like, we'll gather people around us. We'll gather our prayer. We'll, like, come on, have, you know, all our guys pray for us. Keith and Jeremy and Megan and Crystal. But, but it's those little foxes that spoil the vine. Are there little fears that every day it's like, oh, okay, I won't. Even receiving love. I'm not worthy. It's that orphan scared. Orphan, you know, like performance. I haven't done enough. That boldly entering the throne. So I'm going to ask, um, I just want to share something personal. So I was with Moses and Hunter earlier this year. We went to Norway and we had a free day. And I love to get out if I have a chance. I just want to see things and do new things. And so they said, hey, you got a free day. Uh, why don't you take the car, one of the leaders' cars? And we drove to this place called Pulpit Rock where there's like a couple hour hike and this rock way up where they film Mission Impossible, the last one where he's fighting. I don't know if you saw that. But, um, and we were walking and Moses kind of was running ahead and there was this big rock and the big drop off and I saw Moses kind of getting close to the edges and I'm like, stop, Moses, stop. And I was getting like panic attack kind of fear. And I'm not a fearful person by, in general, but I get fear. And all of a sudden, this, there was a walkway. Uh, so we're walking through the snow up around the corner here. And there's this walkway with a big drop-off. And everyone's walking on it. And it's like just two or three feet to the sheer drop-off. And there's no handrails. I'm like, what are the Norwegians thinking? In America, we'd have handrails. Like, this is dangerous. And so I'm like making my own path, like up on the hill, trying to like... And, and I'm just feeling riddled with fear. And then we get to the pulpit rock and I'm like, my legs start shaking. We're trying to take a team picture and I'm just feeling fear. And I'm holding back my fear. I'm not telling the team, but I'm like kind of leaning away, you know, uh, from it. And we start trying to, who can sit closer and all these things. And all of a sudden, when I was sitting there kind of near the edge and I started just, I stopped and I said, why am I so paralyzed? Because I hear I've been teaching in DTS all week and seeing breakthroughs. And so I was just feeling this. Why am I paralyzed by fear? God, what's going on? And he said one little thing. He said, Todd, look up. Look up. And it was reminding me of Colossians. Colossians says, therefore, set your minds on things above. Set your heart on things above. She was seated at the right hand of the Father. Your life is there. When He appears, your life will also appear. Like that's where you are. So I'm sitting there, and the tendency on this is you just look down, and you're just. <gasps> so I just looked up, and I saw like the peaks of the other mountains. I saw the clouds. All of a sudden, all the fear drained out of me. I literally had no fear. And I feel like that's what God's saying. He wants you to look up this morning. And we were about to walk back down. We'd taken different pictures. And um, Moses ran down the path and said, Dad, let me take some pictures of you. So I had no fear. So there's this point of the rock on Pulpit Rock. And I just sat down there. And Moses took this picture. I'm sitting there on the corner of the rock and there was this feeling in that moment I felt this joy I felt this trust this peace like I'd never felt 
there's the rest of the picture. I zoomed in on that for the previous, but this is, so I, this is like a, just a picture. I'm not like applauding my courageousness. I'm just saying this was real. What fears are you facing? God wants you to experience his peace. He wants you to overcome by looking to him. So can you just stand up for a moment? Just open up your hands. We're just going to... He just wants to release his freedom. There's this last picture Moses took. He's like, Dad, jump. Or I think Hunter jumped first. But I just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, would you come and would you release your power right now to conquer fear lift off every heavy yoke that's not the yoke of Jesus and come and comfort every heart that in any area is frozen in fear I pray right now as you said the eyes of your heart be enlightened. I pray right now the eyes of your heart to be enlightened right now. Lift your eyes of your heart up. Lift them up. And I pray right now supernatural shalom to flood your heart, to guard it. And any of you may have felt conviction when I was talking about quality of life and what you're living for and concerned about circumstances and just I just feel like the Lord just wants to give you an opportunity to just surrender things just let things go just in some way maybe even lift your hands and just say God I just I surrender I surrender all the needs all the dreams desires my calling my destiny are not more important than my relationship with you than just knowing you, just face to face, just being your friend. That's the way it started in the garden. That's the way it's going to end with the new Jerusalem. It's just going to be face to face. And I want to live that way now. So I just pray, God, would you just wash any defilement from the world, from the flesh, from the enemy that is hindered intimacy that's hindered just practicing your presence any mindsets I sense some of you are kind of like tired mentally it's like trying to figure out everything solve everything some of the men just pressure how am I going to make more money how am I going to deal with this how am I going to do this this and this I feel like the Lord just saying just open the, the top of the teapot just open up the kettle just let the steam out and let me fill you with treasures of wisdom. David confessed that God arranged everything and secured everything. In the midst of his mess, God brought order. God brought security. He brought provision. He brought refreshing. I just sense it's a season change for many of you. It's time to step into the spring season. The winter is past. The rains have come. It's time to look forward to new crops, to new beginnings. Start investing. I feel the Lord saying, start investing. 
start sowing seeds of his word, of truth, of declaring his goodness, of practicing his presence, you're going to see a return. You're going to walk. You're going to feast on the fruit of your labor. So I bless you. You are aliens and strangers in this world. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. So don't try to be fitting in. (laughs) Be free to be that sojourner. Be free to be that pilgrim that's progressing to the king. You are the king's daughter. You're the king's son. I just feel the Lord saying, live like royalty in your inner life, in your identity. Exude his presence. Exude his glory. Your circumstances will change, yes. But start with your inner life first. bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his face, face to face with you again and give you his all-encompassing, protecting, providing shalom. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Sasha